Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Left side, Swanson to first. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley. And on this episode, it is my unfortunate duty to have to put the wraps on the 2023 season for the Atlanta Braves. I think in a lot of ways, it's a year that we'll always be saying what could have been or what if or some version of that as Atlanta was unable to use its historic offense to overpower the Philadelphia Phillies. Instead, they found themselves on the other side of that equation. The bats couldn't get going. The Phillies overpowered the Braves. And with that, the winningest team in Major League Baseball in 2023 will watch the rest of the playoffs from home. Well, there were a whole lot of things we talked about in previewing the NLDS matchup between the Braves and the Phillies. Atlanta simply not hitting was not something that I think too many people, myself included, had really stopped to think about since this offense had been so good. Not just home runs, but overall, this is one of the most well-rounded seasons we've ever seen by a Braves offense, and it was not enough to get them past the Phillies in those four games. That's one of the many things we're going to talk about on this edition of From the Diamond. We're also going to hear from Braves general manager Alex Anthopoulos, who addressed the media on Friday after his club was ousted by the Philadelphia Phillies in Game 4 of the NLDS and that loss up at Citizens Bank Park. Get his thoughts on a slew of things, including his takeaways from the series itself, where this puts the Braves in terms of finding a way to win in October, the consistency that they're looking for, and of course, uh, there are going to be some roster decisions that Alex is going to be making in the not-too-distant future. We'll get his thoughts on all of those things coming up here on the show. We're also going to talk to a buddy of mine who spent an awful lot of time around the Braves this year. He's Justin Toscano of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We'll chat about that unfortunate exit for the Braves, the NLDS letdown on the whole, and maybe look ahead to what exactly the Braves can do to take a club that won 104 games this past year and make it even better. Prepare it for a deeper run in October, however you want to put it, to make the improvements that they need to make to do the thing they want to do, which is get back to the World Series and win it. Before we get started with all that, I want to remind you, as always, to subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow along on social media. I'm at Grant McCauley on most platforms. You can like the show on Facebook. Just search for From the Diamond. And if you need links to any and all of those things, fromthediamond.com is the place to check that out. I'm going to be doing some work on the site over the course of this winter. Hope to have a lot of other good stuff coming your way as we embark on the offseason and look ahead to the year 2024, even though we're having to do it a lot sooner than we'd like to. So before we get to Alex Anthopoulos and hear his thoughts on the NLDS loss for the Braves, I figured it might be a good time to give you mine. This is, in fact, my show, but I've already done this five, six, seven times if you count all the different platforms, videos, TV appearances, radio shows, and call-ins. The ending of this season has been the topic that everybody's talking about because the wound is still fresh, and that's kind of part of this thing. When you're a fan and you follow a club and you're totally invested in the possibilities and you see a team like the 2023 Braves come along, it's easy to get very excited about what that club was capable of 
But unfortunately, we saw in the National League Division Series, and we've seen in the playoffs year after year after year, they are, in fact, unpredictable at best. And it is, quite simply, a crapshoot when you get into the Major League Baseball postseason. It just doesn't go according to plans for all of those clubs. Twelve teams come in now, and only one team leaves with that title. And there were all kinds of other offshoot conversations about the layoff and how it affected some of the top teams, perhaps the Braves included. But then you look at some of the stories for the underdogs and the up-and-coming clubs that get that chance to live out their postseason dreams and win a World Series, even if they weren't the best team over the 162 games. And that element of MLB's postseason is a big draw for a large percentage of baseball fans. But putting that all aside and just looking at it from the Braves' point of view, I don't know what else they could have done over the five-day layoff to have themselves prepared to play the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I just don't feel like it's the number one reason why this club didn't hit. But it's not easy to stop what you're doing and basically wait to get back into that competition when you have another club that's very much trying to beat you so that they can survive in advance. I don't know that the Braves of 2022 really handled the layoff altogether that well. But watching the practice games and seeing how this club was trying to keep it business as usual, I thought maybe that's going to be something that's going to be able to carry them and keep the offensive momentum rolling because that's the one thing that when I talked to players, they said that you got to face that velocity. There's that competition factor. When you turn that off for a while, it takes a little bit to reboot that system and get back up to speed. I didn't feel like that was going to be as big of a factor as it ended up being for this team, but I was wrong. Game one, the Braves were shut out at Truist Park for the first time all season for only the third time this year and the first time since way back in the month of May. This was an offense that was used to scoring runs, nearly six per game, and they were unable to back up the quality start they got from Spencer Strider, seven innings of two-run ball, and you had to kind of wonder, is this offense going to be able to flip the switch and get going again? Then game two came along. Atlanta was no hit into the sixth inning, All of a sudden, down 4-0, they explode for five runs with a comeback victory that was one of the most exciting moments of the entire postseason up to that point. Little did we know, that would be the high point of the Braves' postseason run in 2023. From there, the Braves' postgame celebration became a hot topic in the national news because Orlando Arcia had some fun at Bryce Harper's expense. I was there, I saw it, I heard it, I understand it, but I still have no idea how that story took on a life of its own, but... I think the Phillies are a team that if you give them that motivation, they're just able to turn that into fuel. And if you need to poke a bear, maybe Bryce Harper isn't the one to poke. I don't think getting an attaboy helped Bryce Harper hit two home runs, but it certainly didn't hurt his feelings to make his point as he rounded the bases twice and the Phillies went up two games to one in the series after their 10-2 victory in Game 3. That was the one contest in which everybody's fears about how this series could go were realized. There was a huge question with no Charlie Morton about who would start that game. Bryce Elder got the ball, but he was unable to escape the third inning, charged with six runs, and once again, the Braves' offense was unable to chip away and get back in that game as they scored just two times. Then you turn the page to Game 4. You get Spencer Strider back on the mound. The Braves have had to answer all of the questions about the Arcia business, but their season is on the line. There are bigger fish to fry. Spencer Strider goes out into the sixth inning, allows three solo home runs, but the Braves, they get just one solo home run. It comes off the bat of Austin Riley, and a 3-1 loss was the end of the season and eerily reminiscent of where Atlanta found itself last year, losing in four games to the Philadelphia Phillies for the second season in a row.
So that's the too long, didn't read version of how the NLDS went for the Atlanta Braves. And if we want to cut it down even more, the fact is this team lost a series because it did not hit. They got enough pitching to where they could have won three out of those four games. They did not have enough offense to do so. It was disappointing. It was frustrating. It was surprising. Maybe even shocking that the Atlanta offense was unable to be a factor in this series. That's something that I'm not sure you can chalk up to anything other than the fact is, in the postseason, any team that gets there can beat another team in a given series. And the Philadelphia Phillies, they were that team, and they beat the Atlanta Braves. So how is history going to view the 2023 version of the Braves, a team with one of the best offenses we've ever seen? How are Braves fans going to look back on this club? And I don't think there's any way to look back on it any other way than some disappointment about what could have been. But when this team and this historic offense got on the big stage, it fizzled out and was unable to provide the run support that Spencer Strider needed to help the Braves advance past the Phillies. In short, it was a disappointment, and the Atlanta Braves are going to have to start from square one again in 2024. So after the Braves Division Series loss to the Phillies on Friday, as everyone was unpacking and recapping and maybe still just kind of wondering how exactly it happened, we got the chance to hear from Braves General Manager Alex Anthopoulos and get his thoughts, because as much as everyone who watches the Braves and cheers for the Braves and wants the Braves to be able to go on that World Series journey and bring that trophy home, Alex Anthopoulos is the man who's putting that team together, and that is his goal each and every year. And unfortunately for Atlanta, as A.J. Minter said quite plainly after Game 4, we failed. And so the Braves will have to hit that reset button much sooner than they want to and set their eyes on that date in the middle of February when pitchers and catchers report to Northport and the Braves will once again try to find their way deep into October and make it back to the World Series. But on Friday, in his availability to the media, Alex Antopoulos discussed so many things and it started out with a discussion about the outcome of that series. Regardless of the reasons, whatever they were, and there were many factors, I think, in how the Braves lost this series to the Phillies, they quite simply got outplayed by Philadelphia. Alex Antopoulos discussed that and shared some of his thoughts on the unpredictability of the postseason. I just don't want to make excuses because the bottom line is the format is the format. It's tournament, right? And that's the way it is. So I've said this many times. You want to go into the postseason feeling like you have a roster and a team that's capable of winning a World Series. Now, that being said, things have to occur and so on. And if we didn't have opportunities, you know, if it's just we had a bunch of opportunities and you look, you wonder, you get the big hit here and there how do things change in a ball but look that's sports right i think of that cs against la i believe game one and two we got the big hit in the bottom of the ninth we walked them off both times world series we're down i think two one we get dansby at a homer solar it's a homer we win three to two look we got the big hit in game two look we're also facing really good teams right i mean you're in the postseason you're facing really good teams they earn their way there and you know, I want to make sure that we give proper credit to the opponent. I mean, Phillies were awesome. They played great. Uh, they're a really good team. And we got beat. So I don't ever want it to come across any more than that. But you know, I think we can look back and dissect these games. Again, save for the one lopsided score, we were in those games. We were in those games and we had opportunities. And again, like anything else, just like, look, there's times they left guys on base too, right? You come through, but I mean, the one thing I have no doubt about is that we had a great offensive club and we have great offensive players. Like that was clearly a strength that was historic. It's a young group of guys that are really talented. 
But it's hard. It's hard to have everything click at the same time in the playoffs, especially when you're facing great teams. Throughout this six-year run, the Braves making the postseason, winning the National League East every year, winning the World Series in 2021. We've seen a lot of different styles of this club. The 2023 version, though, it just felt different. It looked different. And with the 104 wins, quite obviously, it should have been and was, I think, the best of that group. But the best over the course of 162, we know, is not necessarily the determining factor for who's going to be the best in that three-week crapshoot that is the MLB playoffs. You can run into a hot team. You can go cold and lose to a quote-unquote lesser opponent that you saw in 162 with a record far lower than yours. The Braves won the National League East by 14 games over the Philadelphia Phillies, but I think we all felt moving into the postseason, based on the sheer randomness and the anxiety that comes with the postseason, Things have a way of changing very quickly, and you cannot judge a book by its regular season cover. We're writing a whole new chapter, so you really can put that book over to the side. The book of the postseason for 2023 for the Braves does not have the ending that they wanted it to have. And I think a big reason why it doesn't have that ending was the club that we watched over the course of 162, a consistent slugging machine, didn't provide anything close to what it had proven itself to be over the course of a long regular season. The 2023 Braves had never had a point in four games where they scored just eight runs. It just wasn't the case. It wasn't who they are. And the fact that they were out homered 11-3, that was another shocking development inside of a series in which the Phillies outscored them 20-8 across four games, and 10 of those runs, they all came in one game. What that tells me is, in the other three games, one of which the Braves were able to win, the Phillies averaged just over three runs per game. The Braves in the regular season, they averaged nearly six runs per game. This felt like there were some wins that were left out there, some moments in which this club wasn't able to come through, and that, I think, is what was the difference ultimately in this series. When I had a chance to interview the Braves prior to the NLDS beginning and I talked to Travis Darno, and you heard it on the last show, he said this series would be won or lost on the little things and being able to manufacture runs, being able to come through in those moments, that might not sound like a little thing, and it does not have to be home runs every time being able to put the ball in play, come through with those hits, be the club that they had proven themselves to be over the past six months, that was what you were hoping to see in October. And unfortunately, the Braves were unable to provide that. As Alex Anthopoulos was asked his thoughts about the Braves' postseason exit and what he saw across those four games, he was quick to point out that this simply wasn't the club that we'd spent our whole summer watching. This team was awesome. I mean, when you look at it, one, we were consistent, basically. I mean, May wasn't as strong as April, but like I said, we got off to an unbelievable start and we maintained it. I don't know how many days we were in first place, but we'd gotten off to slow starts for years. And does that mean that we've solved it going forward now? I can't tell you that, but we definitely talked about it a lot and so on. Um, We went in in some big series, some big moments, and we came through. Now, we went into a big series in L.A. We hadn't won a series in L.A., I believe, since 2012 a lot on the line in a really tough environment that historically we have not performed well, whether it's that 21 team or some other teams. We went in and won three out of four with a lot on the line there, and that hadn't been done in over 10 years. We were 5-1 and one against the Phillies, I think, at their place during the year. We went into Philadelphia with a chance to clinch. They were playing for a lot as well. We went in and took three out of four. Even that, that Cubs series, you know, we had already clinched. The Cubs were playing for a lot. We played a great series. So I think, you know, you win 104 games the way we did it. We were consistent, wire to wire. The room is fantastic. Look, it's a four-game series that we lost. And I know, look, it's human nature that we all want to be able to pinpoint and say, here's why, here's the answer, change this, fix that, 
problem solved, you win the World Series. Well, the other 12 teams, the other 11 teams, I'm sorry, are going through the same thing. And I think it's pretty clear to me that we were in the majority of these games. We had opportunities in the majority of these games, save for game three. And I think the runners in scoring position, which again, that wasn't an issue for us. You know, over a four-game sample, we didn't come through. Had that been a 10-game sample or a 12-game sample, or had we been able to get to the World Series and win the World Series, and now we had a much longer sample size of games, maybe the runners in scoring position numbers would have been a lot better. But it didn't happen in this series. And obviously, a ton of credit goes to the starters and the relievers of that team. Watching this Braves season all year long, it became kind of remarkable, not just what they were doing with the slugging and the records and all the things that were said, but the consistency of what they were doing. That was something that really, really seemed to be built for the postseason. You had some superstars having MVP caliber seasons. Ron Lacuna Jr., I think he's going to win the MVP. Matt Olson, many years, his season would win him an MVP. But this lineup was not just built around one or two players. It was the strength. I mean, really one through six. And then you had seven, eight, and even nine that were making their regular contributions. That feels a lot like a big piece of a formula that could be successful in the postseason. It was not just quality, it was quantity. And the Braves had it seemingly one through nine at times this year. And obviously, when you look at the numbers at the end of the season, they speak for themselves. That was one thing I didn't think we were going to be wondering about in the postseason. What would happen if everybody basically stopped hitting? And that's pretty much what happened. Because everybody not named Austin Riley had a series to forget at the plate to some extent. We always hear some version of that old baseball cliche that great pitching beats great hitting every time. I don't know that that's necessarily true, but there are so many times where it does seem to be the case. However, I also sat through the 1990s in which the Atlanta Braves had some great pitching, and they didn't always win. It's just the randomness of the postseason, the head-to-head matchup, and who ends up performing the best. I think that's really what it comes down to. But Atlanta, you had questions about the rotation. Were they going to have enough? Would they get enough to win these games? The answer was yes. In three out of the four games, the Braves got the starting pitching they needed to win. Was the bullpen going to be able to do its part? In three out of the four games, the Braves got the bullpen performances they needed to win a game. What didn't happen in three out of the four games? The Braves didn't score enough. Shut out in game one, only two runs in game three, only one run in their elimination game four. That's not going to get the job done. And the Philadelphia Phillies, they're far too good a team to lose in three games when you only post three total runs. Alex Antopoulos was asked a lot about the formula for postseason success, and I thought his answer was pretty interesting. I do think there's certain things that are important in the postseason, but I don't think that there's a formula, right? Because then, whether it's Phillies or any other team, they'd be winning the World Series each year, right? And there's plenty of great teams, and you could talk about the Braves teams that either got to the World Series or other teams that got there and didn't win and so on. So, no, but look, I think there's no doubt, I've talked about this before, I think power is important. It's hard to string together hits. We have a ton of power. It didn't materialize. Uh, that doesn't mean we don't still have a ton of power on the roster. And it's not, we had three home runs in four games. So if I was strictly leaning on the four-game sample, we'd say, well, we better go find some power for, for the lineup. But clearly don't feel that way. We have power in, in the lineup. You know, I think like anything else, I mean, you get to the postseason, you just by nature of getting there, you have a chance to win a World Series, certainly getting there. And then you need to play well and, Things need to happen, and uh, you need to come through. So other than the power piece, look, of course you want good bullpen, rotation, and so on. But I would say that they had a lot of home runs, and I do think that power is certainly an important part. 
A big part of the discussion as the Braves go home, because they've got spare time to think about it, unfortunately, is was the format to blame for some of this? And I've been talking about this format since the Braves lost that game one, and you just started to wonder, is this going to happen again? Was the five days off they got a detriment rather than rest, you think, that a club might like to have over the course of a long season? Should MLB reassess that after the top five records in the sport over the course of the 162 went 1-13 and all got eliminated from the postseason? There has to be something to that, right? Or are we the victims of small sample size theater and some clubs that simply need to figure out a better way to handle the time off? I don't know that there's an easy answer to this, but one of the things that's been kicked around, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, is how do you change that format? Should the NLDS be seven games? I've always kind of wondered why it isn't, but Alex Antopoulos was asked his thoughts on whether or not a seven-game NLDS would be the ultimate equalizer in this case. If we won three games to one, I'd say no. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, I just look, everyone knows the rules going in, and I know, look, I've seen the stuff online and people talking about layoffs, this, that, and so on. You know, I've always felt this way. When people have asked about rule changes, shifts, this, that, we're all playing by the same rules. Josh Donaldson said it best back in 2015 when I was in Toronto. He said, it's not the try league, it's the get it done league. You got to get it done, you know, and that's everybody. That's me. That's the whole organization, right? I mean, that's our players will say the same thing. You know, Strider said the same thing. And I also think anything that I don't think it's a, it's fair or appropriate to take away from, you know, Philadelphia Phillies came in and won. I don't think it's fair to even insinuate that anything other than they played really well and they deserve to win and they have a fantastic club. The Phillies certainly outplayed the Braves across the board. You heard from multiple members of the team that said just that. And unfortunately, the randomness that is the MLB postseason, as I've called it all along, the predictably unpredictable nature of the playoffs, well, it did not go in the Braves' favor. The Phillies, meanwhile, will move on to the National League Championship Series where they'll meet the Arizona Diamondbacks. Well, the Braves, they gained some experience, I guess, to draw from, but they have to hit the reset button, just like 13 other National League clubs at this point. Winning 100 games in back-to-back seasons in very different ways, I might add, only to lose in the NLDS to the same team in what felt like kind of the same fashion, it's going to spur a lot of discussions. We're going to have plenty of them here on the show. I know that plenty of them are going to go on across social media, and as Braves fans try to kind of come to grips with the fact that this season had so much more promise than it was able to deliver on. But there's one man who's tasked with delivering on that promise year in and year out, and that is the club's general manager. Alex Antopoulos was asked about the takeaways from this series and whether or not this most recent loss to the Phillies suggests that some kind of major changes are needed to both the tone and tenor of the team and, of course, the production, which wasn't there in the NLDS either. I don't see it that way. I think I understand it's two years in a row. It's one coming off the World Series in 21. I mean, look, it was two years in a row in 2018, 2019. 2020, we get to game seven of the CS, obviously didn't get it done. And then 21, we get it done. I just think the two years are very different. I think, you know, just with the health of our rotation, with where it was and so on. Like I said, I I don't remember the exact scores of all those games. I just feel like takeaway game three with what the final score was, we had opportunities in those other games, you know, and you get the big hit, you come through and look, you feel really good with the players that we have. And some guys in previous playoff years, I mean, you look at Eddie Rosario in 2021, it's 600 in the NLCS, didn't do the same thing in the World Series. Doesn't make him less of a player or a hitter. You just can't necessarily translate it. Not the same guy wins the CS MVP that wins the World Series MVP and so on. So a lot of our guys won the World Series. A lot of this group 
was part of that World Series winning team. So we did not have issues with runners in scoring position during the year. Over four games, we didn't come through. And to try to extrapolate from that more than what it is, I don't think would be a responsible thing to do. With the Braves now out of the postseason much earlier than they wanted to be, that will turn their attention to the offseason and with a little bit of extra time, I guess, which, again, is not the ideal situation. The Braves, though, do have a bunch of decisions to make, in particular with a couple of bigger names and Charlie Morton in rotation and Eddie Rosario in left field. Team options for both of those guys. Kirby Yates and Colin McHugh also have options. Those decisions will have to be made as well. Alex Antopoulos talked about what the short term and I guess into the long term is going to be over the course of the winter as the Braves look to round out this club and get ready for 2024. You know, we obviously have within five days after the World Series, those will all be discussions. Um, I know Charlie obviously had the injury at the end, but if you look at just the body of work, you look at the number of starts he's made all the years he's been here, you know, beyond always being an incredible teammate and so on, but he logged a ton of innings, had an ERA in threes, um, great example for all, all the guys. Then you look at Rosario, says a left-handed bat, over 20 home runs, made 700 OPS for us, did a really nice job at two huge months, I believe in June and August, where he just carried us. So those guys were really productive players. I think like anything else, we have to sit back and look at what the roster looks like for 2024, things we want to do, how we're going to allocate our dollars, all those things. But both of those players were thrilled with the years that they both had. Anybody who has a club option, yeah, we have to make a decision within five days of the World Series. So it's always been that way. So within five days of the World Series, we'll make a decision on those things. But I mean, I would think like anything else, we'll have conversations with all of our guys that have options. Yates has an option, Call McHugh has an option. Trying to think if I'm forgetting anybody else. I think those are the four. Yates, McHugh, Rosario, uh, Charlie, I believe, are the only four off the top of my head. Now, those are things that we'll work through. Obviously, I wish I had less time, and it was right after the World Series, and we have to scramble over the course of five days. But, um, you know, now we have more time to start planning, you know, and we still always keep an eye on things, and we're always thinking about 24 and beyond. But, you know, now that we'll spend a lot more time on that in these next few weeks leading to the end of the World Series. There are definitely some areas that the Braves are going to need to address, and I don't think there's a bigger one than starting rotation. You're not going to have Kyle Wright in 2024. You've got one more year of Max Fried, and as you just heard, a decision has to be made about Charlie Morton and what he's going to be doing in 2024. Will he pitch again? Are the Braves going to pick up that option? Those are questions for Alex Antopoulos and that front office to answer in the coming weeks and months. But there is no way around the fact that the Braves need to figure out some things in their starting rotation. Alex Antopoulos was asked about that. Charlie Morton's name is going to come up, but how are the Braves going to round out that starting five after a year in which they had a lot of moving parts when it came to who's starting games? The Braves used 16 different starting pitchers. How could that change in 2024? The Braves GM was asked how exactly he's going to tackle that and whether or not the Braves need to prioritize getting a number one top of the rotation arm, which could go a long way towards answering questions about the rotation. So the frontline starter piece... I feel like 2020 offseason, Charlie Morton ended up being that, you know, we added that frontline starter. I think when we signed him, I don't think I said we're getting a frontline starter, but, you know, we gave him a pretty good co- contract in what our minds is a good contract. And he was our game one starter throughout the playoffs. DSCS World Series, his performance in 21 was frontline, and we went out and got him, and he was a target, and we did early. So in terms of age of that player, bottom line is we got a front of the rotation guy that slotted – Max down to two, Ian Anderson down to three, and so on. Because Anderson was our two starter, you know, in 2020, we had Max as our one, Ian as our two. 
we did sign Charlie and he slotted everybody else down. Right. I think all your points that you brought up about the ailments two years in a row going into the postseason with um, some things that have come up with the rotation, I think extremely fair. I wouldn't argue with any of the fact that, look, those are the facts. There's no doubt about it. We had a great season, but there's no doubt we were definitely banged up. In terms of how that would shape or influence our offseason, I think same thing is I'm going to be very guarded. We're clearly not even there yet. This is less than 24 hours. But look, I, I think that's fair. Those are real things. Those are real things that did occur two years in a row and something we're definitely going to have to talk about. The Braves are going to be doing a lot of talking over this offseason, and of course, we're going to do a lot of that here on From the Diamond. I wanted to kind of wrap things up for 2023 and take at least a look ahead to what the offseason is going to look like, the winter to come, the hot stove, all of those things. And I've got a friend who's been covering this team all year long who's going to help me do just that. Joined now by Justin Toscano of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Justin, we spent a long season covering this Atlanta Braves club, and I guess uh, among the many people who were a little bit surprised to see it end the way that it did, and that might be the understatement of the year, I would say both of us are probably in that boat as well. Um, I know you're back from Philadelphia, kind of getting settled in, and looking back on what was a season of what if for this Atlanta Braves team. Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me, Grant. It's uh, good to talk to you. And I, I honestly, I, I thought I'd be seeing you again yeah. yesterday for Game 5, and then seeing you throughout October. It's kind of weird because like, I know before we got on this, we were talking about I think we're both kind of enjoying the weekends that we, we never thought we would have. Uh, and I think it's like I'm still kind of stunned because, you know, you watch the team, I watch the team all year, and it's just like we both saw what happened in terms of the record-breaking offense, the 16 different starting pitchers used, how nothing could really phase this team, nothing could derail this team. Try as the universe might, this team rolled on, and it kind of just – they picked a bad time to look their worst. Like that was their worst series of the year. And it just so happened to be the most important one of the year. They looked like a shell of themselves. And I think like, I'm stunned, man. Like I was telling family, uh, my girlfriend, my colleagues, you know, you, others that like, I expected to work until the middle of November, right. you know, just covering the parade, all of that stuff. Like I've never been, I guess that's the fatal flaw in baseball, the kiss of death. I've never been so sure about a team as I was this one because of all I had seen and, and just the motivation, how motivated they were and how good the room was and, mm -hmm. and just everything, man. And I think it just came to a screeching halt, which is wild. Yeah, definitely was. And, you know, as the Braves went up to Philadelphia with their season on the line, they came back with this season ending much the same way it did a year ago. But it felt so much different than the 2022 club for a variety of reasons, because as you just pointed out, I mean, we watched this Braves offense all year long, performing at levels that we've never seen before, historic production, records out the wazoo. And when it comes down to it, the Braves lost a series to the Phillies in large part because they did not hit. So I guess the question becomes, who saw that coming? Nobody. I'm never going to try to make a baseball prediction again. Like, I'm just after this series, I'm just like, I feel like when we all broke this down, it was, okay, how's Max Fried's glister going to be? Yeah. Okay, like, is Spencer Strider going to shove in the postseason? Okay, but what about that bullpen? What if the starters do pitch well? Mm -hmm. Okay, and what about game three? What are they going to do there? And, and honestly, Grant, like, none of it mattered. Like, game three was a big factor, but – sure. I would say that you knew that one was going to be a tough one to win going in because the pitching plans were up in the air and you knew you weren't really, the Braves weren't really going to be favored there because of who they would be throwing on the mound. But it's like none of it mattered because they were in three of the four games and the offense just didn't show up. And it was the weirdest thing because 
before this series, they had never had a stretch of four games this season in which they scored only eight runs. And before this series, they'd actually, since after May, they were hitting very well with runners in scoring position. And, and like all of these things that we've seen them do just did not happen. And I think the most stunning thing to me, though, was they kind of look like a shell of themselves. Like all year, they were this competent team with limitless energy and intensity and yeah. focus. And it kind of like, I don't want to sound too cliche or mythical about this, but they kind of got out intensity and out attituded by the Phillies. Like they kind of just look like a shell of themselves. I mean, I guess they got up off the mat in game two, but they kind of just like never woke up. And it was, it was just strange because you just expected them to be this group that wasn't going to be phased by anything because that is what we watched. And it was just an extreme departure. Like, it's not even like they lost these games 8-7, 6-5. You know, they were going back and forth. The Phillies just outplayed them. Yeah, across the board. And it's a crazy thing to see. And to go back to what I said, I mean, who saw it coming? The expectation was that the Braves were going to hit. The question marks were, would they get the starting pitching lined up the way that they needed it to be? And if they did get that done, was the bullpen going to perform? And the answer to those questions, I mean, I'll stipulate Game three turned into the kind of mess that Braves fans were probably afraid that it would become. But you had a chance to win game one. You got shut out. You had a chance to win game four. Spencer Strider provided that in both of those cases. The offense, outside of Austin Riley, simply didn't perform well in this series. Let me ask this, and we got a few different topics I'm going to hit you with, things that we've talked about, and of course, big stories coming out of this series. But do you think MLB does anything about the format? Because... You know, I know folks point to the Astros and say it doesn't seem to bother them, and I know the Braves didn't want to use that as an excuse either. Brian Snicker in particular said, hey, we just got to figure it out. But the teams with the top five records in baseball, you know this, they went 1-13 in the playoffs, the top yeah. five records of the regular season. I'm not sure we can really dismiss the challenge of time off in a rhythm sport out of hand. No, no, I know. Um, and obviously two of those were teams that played in the wild card series. Uh the Rays and the Brewers did not mm-hmm. look good. But, I mean, you look at the Orioles, I guess you could say they were young, and they, I do think the Rangers are just better. But to lose like they did on their home field was strange. The Dodgers, I think, had it coming because of starting pitching. I think they sure. wait maybe another year to see if all these factors or a year or two to look at it, to see if all these factors sort themselves out. But, yeah, it's like it is strange because especially last year, right, like nobody knew how to handle this. And you see the Braves, you know, come out and they just look lackluster against the Phillies last year. You see the Dodgers come out. They win a game, I think game one against the Padres, and then they lose, you know, the final three. I think it was they lost three in a row. There's no denying that it's a rhythm sport. And here's the thing, like, and I don't want to, like, I'm not inside their head, so I don't know. But as much as the Braves can say, well, you know, Houston this, Houston that, that's true. The Braves have less of an excuse this year because they thought they'd figured it out. They thought right. they'd handled it better. But baseball is a rhythmic sport, and that's just a truth that will always be a truth. And and you're probably not going to hear them say that a lot because they don't want to be billed as that team that's making excuses. Mm-hmm. So I think that they need to look at it. I mean, I don't know, like as a baseball fan, as a baseball writer, I love the wild card series. I think it's great intrigue. I like it better than knowing that one random thing and a wild card game, you know, could decide the series. But on the other hand, I guess you could argue if you didn't win your division, maybe you should be subject to the randomness of, of one wild card game. 
I just think that I don't know what they would do with the format or how they would decrease the layoff. Maybe, I mean, maybe like, for example, if the wildcard series is Tuesday to Thursday, maybe the next series starts, you know, Friday, or maybe it could be Monday to Wednesday, and it's the next yeah. one starts Friday, so you mm-hmm. decrease it by a day. But then I guess you would have to make sure there were no game 163s. Like, I don't know what they would do. And I think that, by and large, the wildcard series is probably bringing MLB a lot of money uh, and getting more markets interested in the middle of September and beyond. But, like, you and I can talk about baseball being a rhythmic sport, and the layoff definitely impacted the Braves. Because, look, let's face it, I mean, you can do sim games all you want, and they mm-hmm. fa- that means they face velocity, but that's not the adrenaline of actual games. And... I think the Braves have less of a card to play on that this year. Like there are fewer excuses that should be used this year because they really strengthen their focus and intensity to prepare for the NLDS. But I do think that there's always going to be that truth to it, that baseball is a rhythm game. And Smith said it like he hates even having two days off, you know, at a certain point during the season. And it's like, I mean, that baseball, you can't do that. And they're, they're just not going to say it because they don't want people to think they're making excuses. But think back to the COVID season, right? Any COVID stoppage team that had a stoppage of like three or four days, look how they played on the back end of that. It wasn't good, if I remember. No, not at all. No, it wasn't good whatsoever. And, and the other thing I would say, kind of piggybacking on your ideas, like winning the wild card as opposed to winning the division, there's supposed to be like a difference of it. But the reward that was supposed to be built in for these teams with great records was the opportunity to perhaps have more time off but i'm kind of of the mind that you play these 162 games in what 183 days i think it is i I might be off a a couple of days on that but then they put in all these tiebreakers and elaborate systems so that they don't have to do game 163 they get the wild card game to go into a three game format which i don't uh, dislike whatsoever i hated the one game wild card for a variety of reasons that we can talk about some other time but what if you were (laughs) to start those wild card series immediately after game 162 and then you were to, whenever yeah. that was over, whatever wildcard team advanced, they then had to face the club that was waiting on them. And so instead of having potentially a five-day layoff, maybe at most you have the three-day layoff. If the wildcard game, or excuse me, the wildcard series goes three games and, and nobody's going to call me and ask me for my ideas, I'm sure somebody smarter than me has probably thought about this, but I don't know that MLB is going to change it. And again, to your point, and I think this is really what it rests with with the Braves is, they're not going to use this as an excuse, even if it was some part of the factor there. And you know, you and I heard a lot from Alex Anthopoulos, the Braves GM, after the Game 4 loss and his end-of-season media availability. It's his job to make this roster the best it can be, built to win a World Series. Because when we walked into Northport in the middle of February, you and I and everybody else knows, and including every member of that Braves club, it's World Series or bust. That's the expectation for this team. So what direction, if you're Alex Anthopoulos, do you go when you're a 100-plus win team that comes up short in the first round of the postseason in back-to-back years? Because I can't really say, in 2023 at least, that there was something missing, a clear gaping hole, an unaddressed need that wasn't there for them. I mean, there were question marks, but they just didn't hit. And I don't know that there's really much Alex Anthopoulos can do to make the lineup any better or more consistent than it was in 2023. What's your take on all that? Yeah, I know it's... I would love to be a fly on the wall for those discussions because of what you said. Think about this. If you're him and you make a change and it does not go well, think about how much that would backfire right. for everybody to say, well, you didn't run back a historic lineup, this, that, and the other thing. And we heard a little bit about that, right? Like, it's like, I think uh, I asked him about left field 
Mm-hmm. And he mentioned, like, look, like, if we pick up Rosario's option, we got a chance to run back this historically great lineup that you could argue is also the best in baseball history is kind of what he was saying. And I tend to think that's probably the the right move. Like, we can debate Rosario, and, and I think the, the skinnier, the one line on him is, look, I mean, as, as much as he was inconsistent, I think you would take 21 home runs and a 755 OPS for $9 million if you saw what $9 million got you on the free agent market most that's years. That's true, yep. Um, especially as a left-handed bat that balances the lineup and is a great, like his bat to ball skills are a great compliment for a power hitting lineup. But I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, do you want to, maybe there's like, maybe there's a Sean Murphy type situation that you could do in left field. Maybe you swing one last trade with like Avon Grissom as one of the main chips. Uh, and maybe you, you just try to, you know, squeeze it in like that. Um, and maybe you try to do it like that to fix it long term or somebody you've always had your eye on. Here's where I'm focused on this rotation, right? Yeah. It's got a lot of flux if they don't pick up Charlie Morton's option. Yes, it does. I think, you know, you could debate that $20 million, but starting pitching comes at a premium. And if he's going to give me a three, five and be a terrific teammate and clubhouse guy, and a valuable source of knowledge. I feel like 20 million is worth it. Or you could renegotiate a little lower if he wants to continue pitching. Um, and if he's healthy enough, we don't know whether he would have pitched in the NLCS. So all of this is to say, I think I start with the rotation. You're not going to have Kyle right next year. Right. Who knows what happens in Charlie Morton situation. As much as Bryce Elder is a pleasant surprise, you and I both know they can't go into spring training with Max Fried, Spencer Strider, Bryce Elder, AJ Smith Shaver, and a host of Jared right. Schuster, Dylan Dada, and Winans. Michael Soroka, whoever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I think, look, I know it's hard on the free agent market or the trade market. Like, they've got to get a proven arm or two, honestly. I think that's the way you go is look, like, the lineup's there. Like, you can kind of almost run it back no matter what you do in left field. But. I think what can make this team stoppable, unstoppable is the pitching, right? If you get, and I know that's easier said than done, especially mm-hmm. if you don't want to mm-hmm. trade younger prospects. But let's say, you know, they're willing to do that. I think a proven arm or two in the rotation. Two, the one area I see, Grant, that I'm sure you probably noticed, Philly, man, they were running out of line of guys who were throwing 98 to 100 miles an hour out of that bullpen. The Braves, on the other hand, uh, ranked 28th in baseball, um, you know, with, you know, the the amount of pitches, you know, 96 and above that yeah. relievers threw for them. And most of that was Iggy, Minter, and Pierce Johnson, who was there for half a season, and Jimenez, who really didn't get going until a couple months into the season. I think that bullpen, because of the situation, Johnson free agent, Jimenez free agent, Yates and McHugh with club options. options. Yeah. I think you've got a unique opportunity to rebuild your bullpen and maximize maybe like high-velocity guys or, you know, go with a couple proven guys and then, like, you try to hit low on a couple and identifying a couple guys who could be something more. Um, I think you bring back Pierce Johnson or at least try to. I know his price probably rose with that second half, but, you know, some of that he credited to the catchers there. So maybe he wants to, you know, in the, the game planning and stuff. So maybe he would want to stay. But it's all of this just to say, you know what? Like, I think you kind of run it back. Like, I don't think there was – you got to be careful because nobody wins the World Series two out of three years anymore or three out of five or, or something. And so you've got to be careful. I think you're fine running this lineup back. 
I think you really need to be careful with how you handle the rotation because you can't afford to have three guys who are maybe unproven in yeah. there uh, with Max Fried and Spencer Strider. That is something that can ruin a season. A bad bullpen is something that can ruin a season. I think you maybe allocate your dollars there, and maybe if like there's a trade you can swing for left field, maybe not picking up Rosario's option frees up the $9 million to use somewhere else. Yeah, there are a few different moving parts and pieces, and obviously the pitching staff, as you just laid out, I mean, in rotation and in the bullpen, you're just going to have to go in and make some moves and make sure you're all set up the way that you want to be. And Alex Antopoulos talks at great length about a number of different topics, but with all due respect to our timing and his timing there, he hadn't had all offseason to figure out exactly what he wants to do just yet, but I think those are the things that are going to end up on that list for sure. Now, we got to talk about some of, I guess, the on-the-field stuff and the things that you know we're taking away from this Braves team, and, and we'll revisit that in just a moment before we wrap up. But a couple of little matters that came up during this Braves series that seem to serve as maybe nothing short of just at least a distraction. And I don't want to waste all of our time on this one, but I think it's worth discussion if for no other reason than to kind of put it to rest. Uh, we were both in the Braves right. clubhouse after the Game 2 win. I honestly do not pay much, if any, attention to all of the celebrating and talking and things that go on around me because it definitely toned down after we walked in. If you'll recall, we were booed because they yes. had to turn on the lights and yeah. turn off the music. I mean, they were <laughs> rightfully pumped up for what they had just done. So when we walk in, the tone always changes. And that's, it, it's just, right. it is what it is. We're interlopers to some degree, right. and I don't mind that. It's fine. I just yeah. try to be respectful about it. And we also have a job to do, and I think everybody understands that. And trying to get to the different players who are talking at their lockers, I mean, it's a lot of stuff going on in a short amount of time. And I didn't think Orlando Arcia's comments were altogether too much of a story. Number one, because I don't think he was making them to anyone directly. It was just more post-game reaction between a whole bunch of teammates. And everybody knows the story right now, so I'm not going to rehash it. Personally, I'm a little surprised it even got the response it did nationally. Everybody has their thoughts on it. I happen to like Jake Mintz a lot. I have him on the show, and I've followed him for a number of years on Twitter. Uh, has a lot of fun and a lot of great perspective on the game of baseball. He's a net positive, I guess is what I'm saying. At the very least, though, this became polarizing when he included Arcia's attaboy Bryce Harper comments in like the 20th line of his very long recap of what he saw and heard around Game 2. But for a team, Justin, that did a really great job of avoiding distraction all season long, this was one of their stranger chapters. So I guess I'm asking you, because you traveled on the road to Philadelphia with this club as they had everything on the line in what seemed to be in the midst of a bit of a storm that was brewing after the Arcia story and Bryce Harper's rather resounding response what was your read on all of that? And, of course, the Braves' response, because it felt like in some way, shape, or form, it might have at least affected them mentally in a way that I don't feel like they had dealt with all season long. Yeah, no, it's hard to quantify because, you know, like I said, you, you can't, like, psychoanalyze them in the moment. But I do feel like it was a non-story. Like, it should not have been, you know, a story. They were clearly not happy that it got out as was made public that night, you know, after game three, you know, yeah. the post game in the, in the clubhouse. But I think this is a reason that the Phillies are so great is that they were able to pull something that was literally nothing. And mm -hmm. they just made it motivation. Sure. Like they just made it a rallying cry. Sure. Like they just made it this story. Like it was a non story. But then when Bryce Harper stares down Arcia, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. I think he must have seen that. <laughs> like, I was wondering. I grabbed my binoculars when he hit that first home run, that one off Bryce Elder, to see if he was going to do, you know, say anything to Arcia. And sure enough, he did. And I was like, oh, my God, did I just see that? So I think, number one, the Phillies almost had an edge I think the Braves lacked. 
And I think some of that comes from their ability to just make anything motivation. Mm -hmm. Like, I think they love being punched in the gut. They love being made fun of. Like, I think they just feed off of it. Like, I think they thrive off of it. But I do think, like, it was kind of weird. You could feel like a weird air. You know, it was very tense uh, in the clubhouse post game after that game three. And I think players were not happy about that getting out. And it was kind of, yeah, like, I don't know. I guess, it, you know, you could say maybe it became a distraction. Who knows? It's hard to quantify, but certainly they didn't play well in that game. And it was kind of one of those things that they, media, the scrum went to Orlando RC at first. And then, you know, Travis Darno has comments that, you know, have since circulated the internet, mm -hmm. and, you know, social media mm -hmm. about that. And it was almost like, the weird thing was that post game almost wasn't even about the game. Right. Like the team lost a game that put them on the brink of elimination and the post game almost wasn't about the game. And I think that was like the weird part. And like, I do wonder, you know, if that got to them a little bit and if that was a distraction, especially for a team that, like you said, is they're literally one of the best in baseball. at just staying focused through like a 162 and like not really letting anything become a thing or at least if it is they don't mention it publicly um and it's fine for them to speak out and most of this became a story because media was asking them about it after the game and so people were able to publicly you know see those comments yeah but it was strange like look the next night there was a video circulating too of like orlando arcia going back and forth with like philly's fans and ronald you know he was showing one of them like he was pointing to his ring finger and like kind of saying like i've got a ring and like there were other ones he was making faces, trying to be funny, and he was laughing and slapping the dugout railing, and Acuna kind of pulls him forward, like, that's a bad look. Like, that's a bad look. Like, you're trying to stave off elimination, and I like Orlando Arce. I think he's been terrific for the Braves. I think he's terrific in the clubhouse by all accounts. But, like, there's stuff like that where you're like, dude, like, your season's on the brink right here tonight. Spencer Strider is trying to do everything he can to keep your season alive, and that stuff... I think they'll look back and realize that was kind of a bad look, that specifically of him, you know, kind of going back and forth with fans. And it's just like, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there was a little bit of focus lost because of what happened. And it really, really should have been a non-story, but it became a story when the Phillies decided to kind of rally behind it. It definitely did. And you could tell that the Phillies, they didn't need any extra motivation. And maybe that was part of the frustration that's built into it. And it's a great point that you bring up. I mean, the Braves already had enough on their minds without having to answer questions about that in the aftermath of one of their worst losses of the season, that 10-2 defeat. Right. They put their backs squarely against the wall. Well, they didn't have any bigger losses prior to Game 1 than they were facing in this series. Every loss is going to be magnified, and that's just kind of not the story that you're looking for in particular. So I know there was a lot of stuff that was going on into and around and after that series, of course. I mean, I know there's commentary about Ronald Acuna Jr.'s lack of availability I'm not inclined to sit here and say we're necessarily entitled to speak to every player after every game, but as you pointed no. out on social media, I mean, it doesn't take anything away from his incredible season, but to some extent, win or lose, there's just an expectation that you stand up and answer those questions, and that they won't always be fun, and that all of his teammates were out there doing it, but I don't agree with that story taking on a life of its own either, but that in the age of media that we're in, it's just kind of part and parcel to it. So let me close out with this and let me ask your opinion, because again, we spend an awful lot of time watching this club as close as you possibly can and talking to all these guys all season long. We've had a few days yeah. now, but when you look back on the 2023 Braves, how do you think their season will ultimately be viewed? In time, 
it'll be viewed as one of the best teams, you know, perhaps the best team in franchise history and one of the best in baseball history, but one that if you don't win a World Series in a few years, fans are going to look back at it like 98 and kick themselves Mm -hmm. because these guys were just too good. And I think in time, you know, I've wrote and said before the end of the regular season, like, look, you know, you need to appreciate this because it doesn't happen every year. But on the other hand, fans have a right to be upset and sad. And I think there's going to be a lot of pain from the way it happened. Like what you said off the top that we considered every possibility except the historic offense not hitting. That was the one possibility we did not consider for this series. We did not even think we had to, we assumed we didn't have to think about. So I think in time it'll be remembered as a historic and fun team that left a little bit of lingering pain at the end. Uh, But hopefully by the time all those feelings wash away, the Braves will have, you know, have won another one or be on the brink of winning another one so fans can truly appreciate this team. Yeah, I think that that's probably, with the benefit of time, you'll look at it in different ways. And as you pointed out, there's a lot of things that can happen for this club still in its future that we haven't seen how exactly that's going to go yet. But Justin Toscano of the AJC, as always, I appreciate all of your time. Let folks know what you're working on throughout the course of the offseason. Obviously, they know they can follow your work at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, but you guys have a great podcast that you're going to be doing, lots of different things, and lots of hot stove just earlier than we thought we were going to be doing it. Yeah, yeah, just earlier. No, I appreciate the plug, man. So I'm on Twitter at Justin C. Toscano, and then we've got the Braves Report running on you know pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts and we'll be doing that when as warranted over the off season i guess the next thing is the gm meetings mm-hmm. and then the winter meetings after that and, and you know what like i it will be the braves to my recollection have i'm trying to think of last year they've got the option decisions this year a lot more intriguing i will say that so that five-day window after the world series is going to be a lot of fun so yeah i guess we'll get it started up but it is it is kind of weird. Like you get these emails. Don't you find it weird when you get an email from MLB and it's like press conference times and footage, but it's not like you're not a part of it. Yeah. Like the Braves aren't a part of it. Like I was, I got one of those today for that, uh, for the ALCS and LCS kind of spread over the next day or two. And I'm like, man, just how, how weird. Like I expected that to be you, me and everybody else we work closely with, uh, over 162. But you know what? Like I think, uh, you know, you never not this. This isn't meant to gaslight fans, but I think you, I think the Braves, they're gonna be fine. They've got the core of a lifetime. Everybody's literally trying to replicate what they've done in terms of drafting, developing, and extending all the you know yep. the guys who are worth extending. It's gonna be a fun ride. I'm pretty sure of that. Like it's gonna be a fun five, ten years uh, in Atlanta. Um, you know, if not longer, they'll try to keep it going. But it's with this core, it's it's gonna be a fun ride. So you know, February will be here before we know it. And until then, I mean, I'm sure there'll be a couple splashes along the way. Yeah. I think that there probably will be Justin, as always, I appreciate all of your time. And I guess uh, for a lot of us, it'll just be maybe a little bit of group therapy as we figure out what course (laughs) that the Braves are going to set for themselves. But uh, as always, thanks so much. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for having me, Grant. Appreciate it, man. That's going to wrap us up here on this edition of From the Diamond. Unfortunately for the Braves, it did not end the way that they wanted it to. And for so many Braves fans out there and so many of you who support the show, listen to the show, and follow my coverage all year long, we weren't able to finish the story. The beauty of baseball, though, is there will be another opportunity. The double-edged sword, of course, is that we have to wait for quite a while and hope that you're able to recapture that magic and get back to October and find a way to win it all again. 
That'll be the Braves' goal when they head down to Florida in February, reporting to Northport right around Valentine's Day and beginning once again their quest to win the World Series. Again, I want to thank Justin Toscano for making some time for me to chat about the Braves' unfortunate end in their NLDS loss to the Philadelphia Phillies. And my thanks to Alex Antopoulos for all the time that he was able to give us on Friday. Got a lot of insight and a lot of info on the 2023 Braves and where they stand looking forward to 2024 and the winter that will come before that when all the shopping is done, when all the pieces are put in place, and Alex tries to build another championship contender, which we already know has a pretty great core. This will be the last edition of the podcast for a little bit. We're going to let the playoffs play out and then come back and officially light the hot stove and look forward to awards season. The Braves have a few guys, I think, that are going to be taking home some hardware. We'll talk about that and get into all the free agency news and rumors that'll make up our winter. Once again, I want to say thanks for everybody for following along and for supporting my coverage, not only here with the show, but also on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, on Locked On Sports Atlanta, on Battery Power, on 11 Alive Television here locally, and the Marietta Daily Journal, where I've been writing all season long. And I'll still have plenty of coverage coming your way throughout the course of the winter as we count down to pitchers and catchers and ultimately as we count down to opening day, as unfortunate as we're having to start that countdown right now. Make sure you subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow me on social media at Grant McCauley on most platforms. Like the show on Facebook. And if you need links to anything, you can find it at FromTheDiamond.com. That's all I got for you this week, but I look forward to catching up again soon as we talk about the Braves and the rest of Major League Baseball right here on From the Diamond. Until next time, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.